0: as you turn to the text for today, Matthew 25, we'll be looking at verses 1 through 13. Uh, Let's just open with a word of prayer. And Father, we thank you for this time that we've had to come together to sing praise to you. uh, We will have to have fellowship. And just pray that as we look at the text now that we would gain a greater understanding of this parable. uh, Give us wisdom, give us the knowledge, and uh, help us to apply this to our lives. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, as we start out this parable, I found an illustration that was of Martin Luther. And it says, one day, uh, when Luther was a young man, he was walking with his friend named Alexis. Suddenly, a bolt of lightning, lightning struck his friend and killed him instantly. From that moment on, a radical change took place in Luther's life. Your life w- will also be changed if you, seriously, uh, if you think seriously that one day it will end perhaps suddenly soon. After that, you will have to give an account to God. And the question is, are you ready? Uh, that's what we're going to be looking at today. Are you ready? Uh, ready to give an account to God. To start out this parable, uh, the intro, it starts all the way back in chapter 24, and verse 3. It says, he, As he sat on the Mount of Olives... The disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us when when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age. And so this is the question that the disciples posed to Jesus. And that is the question which stems a long discourse on that topic. And so they want to know what will be the sign of your coming at the end of the age Um, Jesus tells them, um, I'm going to summarize this, there's a lot in here. Jesus tells them, um, and Jesus answered them, see that no one leads you astray, so he tells them to be vigilant. Um, In verse 21, uh, he mentions, uh, for then there will be a great tribulation, such has been from the beginning of the world until now, no, and And never will be. And so he tells them there's going to be a great tribulation. In verse 30, he tells us then will appear in the heaven a sign, the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And so the Son of Man, um, Jesus, is going to be returning again. And then in verse 36, he tells us, But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. And so no one knows the day or the time. And again, someone's going to say, Caden, you missed something here. I'm very quickly summarizing at least some of the topics here. And then verse um, 45 um, through 46, he goes through and tells of a account or a story of a master and a a wise uh, servant and a wicked servant, and then we'll pick up in verse 50, it says, The master of that servant will come on that day when he does not expect him, and at the hour he does not know, and will cut him into pieces and put him in with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That is what will happen to the wicked servant. Which leads us all the way up to our parable. And we'll just read the parable. It says, Then the kingdom of heaven, um, again, that is the subject, now the kingdom of heaven, will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five of them were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and they slept. But at midnight there was a cry, Here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, You, uh, since there there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterwards, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. The first point I want to look at is the time is coming. Now, this parable is yet again a wedding. And the wedding has commenced. The wedding has already started. And there's a little bit of debate on when exactly this parable takes place. But it's likely um, that the bro- uh, bridegroom is going to get the bride. And these virgins are there with the bride. And they're gonna, he's going to come grab them. And they're all going to go. And they light the way for them. And they go into... The bridegroom's house and then there they will celebrate and uh, the parable itself is actually a very simple parable to understand um, it's pretty clear on what's happening um, the bridegroom is Jesus coming to take his church there are these virgins um, which represent the church um, and what's going to be happening at the end of the age Uh, when he comes back. And it's very interesting when you look at these virgins... because all the virgins look the same for the most part. Uh, If you were standing there and you were watching them all prepare... and they were all sitting there waiting for the bridegroom to come... uh, you wouldn't be able to tell them apart. You would say they're all exactly the same. Uh, And when you read this parable... again, you see that they were all virgins. All of them bring their lamps. Um, All of them were waiting... All of them fall asleep. All of them were expecting to be part of the feast. All of them woke up when the bridegroom appears. All of them trimmed their lamps. And as you're thinking about that, how they all look the same, this is how it will be at the end of the age for those in the church. Sadly there are going to be those people in the church, the foolish virgins, um, people who look exactly like the wise ones, that is, true believers. Um, They're going to do all the right things, and you won't be able to distinguish one from another from a human standpoint. Um, They're all going to be praying. All of them are reading the scriptures. All of them are serving. And yet, at the end of the age, some of them, will have one distinguishing element. And that distinguishing element is the oil. And it tells it right there, they took no oil with them. That is the, the difference between them. And I think this kind of means they took no oil at all. They didn't even have it. Um, they were unprepared. That is the distinguishing difference between the foolish and the wise And the oil, uh, people have a lot of different guesses on what they think the oil is. This is, um, in a sense, salvation. Uh, You could think about it as faith. You could think about it as the grace of God. Um, I would um, think about it as the Spirit of God who indwells the believers as the oil, the source. So that is the distinguishing difference between them. Um, But other than that, they look the same. And it's very interesting, because when you read what happens here, it is only until the bridegroom appears. The bridegroom is here, and now they think, oh, I need oil. (laughs) Now that he's here, verse 6, right? Um, But at midnight there was the cry, here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. And all of a sudden their foolishness of not having oil is revealed. They understand, oh, I need oil now. And this is how I'll be with many Christians at the end of the age. There are many who do all the right things. Uh, they say all the right things. They say the things that you want them to say. But they don't have that oil. They don't have the Spirit of God within them. They never really made the change. And this is when they see the Son of Man come, when they see Jesus, their foolishness then will be revealed. And I kind of was thinking about this, it's kind of, well, I don't know if this is the best example, but a parent to a child, uh, when you're a kid, you're watching a movie or something, and maybe you think as a kid, you're like, well, maybe this isn't the best movie, maybe I shouldn't be watching this. And then all of a sudden your dad comes in and there's a swear word and then the foolishness, right? You realize then because now your dad's there and he's telling you and all of a sudden he's convicting you. You realize the error of your ways and that's how it will be at the end of the age, much personified uh, that these people will all of a sudden realize that they never truly believed, They never truly put their faith in Christ. They never truly were indwelt by the Holy Spirit their foolishness will be revealed... because God sees straight to their heart. And so the time is coming. It's looking forward to that time... when the bridegroom returns. But the time is also past in this parable. When you read 7 through 13... Then those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps... and the foolish said to the wise... Give us some of your oil... For our lamps are going out. And it's interesting because the bridegroom comes here seemingly without warning, although they knew he was going to be coming, but he's delayed. They didn't realize it was going to be this late, they were unprepared for him to be that late. And now they need the oil. But the thing is, they knew he was coming. And so the opportunity was lost. They tell him, go to the dealers and go buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and then the door was shut. The opportunity is lost because the oil can't be transferred. That's the first thing we learn from this. Uh, They tried it. They asked for it. And the wise ones say, well, there's not enough for me and for you. So go get your own. And when we're reading this, we kind of think, well, naturally, at least when you initially read it, you think, well, why wouldn't they just share the oil? That would be like the right Christian thing to do. But spiritually, you can't do it. You can't do it at all. And that's what Jesus is pointing out here. You cannot transfer salvation from one person to another, regardless if you want to or not. You can't borrow faith from someone else. When those um, who do not know Christ die one day, particularly those in the church, they can't say, oh, well, my pastor was spiritual, and therefore maybe some of his spirituality rubbed off on me or my Sunday school teacher Um, Taught me all these things, and he was a spiritual person, or my parent was a spiritual person, and therefore, doesn't that account for something? Um, Jesus at that time would just say, I do not know you. You cannot share, in that sense, your faith with other people. You can share your faith, but. Uh, It's interesting because Paul even talks about this in Romans 9. He talks about this. I'm trying to find my verse here. Romans nine three. He says, "For I, for I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh." And so he wished, if he could, that that would happen. But the problem is, it can't happen. Um, Paul couldn't simply wish that would happen and he couldn't transfer his salvation onto someone else just because he wanted it. Uh, The point is it's a very personal relationship that you have to have with Christ. And at the end of the age, um, no amount of spiritual leaders around you is going to change the fact that you don't know Christ if you don't know him. And the sad thing is the opportunity can't be regained, getting back into our text here. The door is shut. And then afterwards, the virgins come to saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. We're ready now. But he answered, truly, I say to you, I do not know you. They can't regain that. Hebrews tells us, if you go to Hebrews 9, Hebrews 9.27. Hebrews 9.27 says, And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear his sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Verse 28 we'll deal with in a moment. But that, and it is... And just as it is appointed for man to die once, you get one opportunity, that's it. That's the end of the age. When you go and meet Christ on the day of judgment, that's it. That you've lost your opportunity if you didn't make him your personal Lord and Savior. You get one chance and they had their opportunity They'd Know the wedding was coming up they knew the bridegroom was coming they knew they should have grabbed the oil and they didn't that's why they were the foolish virgins and there's a certain sadness about this passage at the end here particularly when it gets to the point where it says the door is shut uh, it closed that's it I kind of think of Noah's Ark when the door was shut and that's it People had made up their minds and now they had to live with their decisions. There is no going back. It is a sad state of affair. And so the time is coming when he will be here on the day of judgment, as is portrayed here with these foolish virgins, the virgins, the time was past. They had already made their decisions. Um, But I don't necessarily want to end this on a sad note. The time is now is my last point. The time is now. The flip side of this, the opposite side of the foolish virgins who weren't prepared, is that there were five of them who were prepared. There were five of them who took oil with them. There were those who were ready for the bridegroom to appear. They were ready for him to come late. They were equipped. They had the oil. They had the Holy Spirit. They had faith. They had grace. They had love. They were those who were ready for that time. And the thing I was thinking about as I was reading this is how do you know if you're ready? How do we know if we're ready for the day when the Lord will come? Um, well, hopefully at some point in time you have accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior um, and that you will live according to his word. But I wanted to dig a little deeper into this. How do we know we are ready? And I was Thinking about 2 Corinthians where it says examine yourselves, test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. And so how do we know? And the thing is, first question is, is, does your life show the marks of a true believer? Does it show a remorse for sin? A continual remorse for sin, not just a one-time thing. When you sin or when you think about things that are inappropriate, do you have remorse for that sin? Are you seeking righteousness? Not just remorse for sin, but seeking those things which are holy, things which lead to godliness. Are you obedient to God? Are you wanting to be obedient to God? Are you searching his scriptures with the mindset that I want to be holy, I want to be godly? I want to do those things that God wants me to do, not those things that I just want to do. Um, I'm not just going to read into the scripture my own opinions. I want to see what God has to say about how I live my life. Are you loving? Um, Not just God, but other people. And when people look at you, do they think, oh, that's a very loving person? Uh, I was thinking about this and I was thinking about 2 Peter. So I'll turn there real quick. If I can get there with my Bible. All right, 2 Peter 3, 11 through 12. Uh, Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for, the, waiting for and hastening the coming day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. What sort of people ought you to be? We ought to be those people who live lives according to holiness and godliness. That is the kind of people. And when people see us, when our fellow Christians see us, they should say, oh yes, he's living his life according to holiness and godliness. When other people in the workplace see you, they should see you and say, that person is living his life according to holiness and godliness. He is a loving person. He is a person who hates sin. He is a person who loves righteousness. And so when you look at your life, you can look at it through that lens and say, am I exemplifying those things in my life? Truly, deeply, deeply, do I love those things? Do I love righteousness? That's the first way we can know we are ready. But the other way is, how do you, is to ask yourselves, how do you handle a crisis now? I was reading Boyce, and he mentions this thought, and I thought that was pretty good. How do you handle a crisis now? A uh, crisis now may reflect our thinking on the Day of Judgment, which could be seen as the ultimate crisis for some. And it's a good question. How do you handle it? Are you ready for them? Um, all of us are going to handle some sort of crisis at some point. Some, all of you probably have handled a crisis at some point. Are you joyous about it? Do you get angry about it? Do you just hate every second of it? Do you get bitter to God about it? That reaction to the crisis or a trial, as we would say, can be seen as a mark of a true believer. Uh, James even says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. We're supposed to count it as joy. Can you go through trials and count it as joy? all the time. Now that doesn't mean when someone dies you don't get sad and you don't cry. Um, But the thing is you can see how God is working through that scenario to glorify himself. Um, There's a certain perspective that you can have and you should have when going through trials of various kinds. So how does your life show the marks of a believer? How do you handle a crisis now And the last thing is, how would you live your life if you knew it would end? Would it change at all? Would you be doing something different? If I told you, if I was a doctor and you were coming to me as a doctor, and I said, hey, you have only three months to live, how would your life change? What would you be thinking? Would you think, oh, I need to do this for God? Do I want to go do my own little thing for three months until I die? How would your life change? I found this illustration. It says, The Lord wants us to live all the time as if today would be our last. I believe it was John Wesley who asked at one time, What would you do if you knew that tonight you would die? The great preacher of years gone by said, I would do exactly what I have scheduled to do. Could all of us say that? Could I say that? And I was thinking about that illustration, and I was thinking of, you all know my dad, or maybe you know my dad passed away. Uh, initially, he was told three weeks to live, and then he was told three months to live, and he ended up living a year. But somewhere around the when we were in the three weeks to three months um, point of thinking about it, um, I asked him, because I was thinking about this. I was like, Dad, <laughs> Uh, Like, no one's going to fault you for uh, wanting to go and do something different, Um, to go travel the world, go see something you've never wanted to see, go do something you've always wanted to do, maybe go buy a boat or something like that. I don't know. That was more for myself than him, but but my point was, no one's going to fault you for it. You only have a little bit of time left to live. What do you want to do with that time you have left? Um, And his answer was uh, he wanted to do what he was called to do, which was preach. And he did that up until uh, weeks until he passed away. Uh, He was even on a lot of drugs for the medication. uh, And his mind was starting to worry because he was on so many pain medications. Um, And he was still able to preach. And it was amazing because he would, um, throughout the week, be just like foggy mind and wasn't really able to think and then he would get up on Sunday and it was like a light turned on. He would be perfectly fine. You would never know he was going, um, what he was going through. Um, but he was a man who was called. He wanted to do that. He knew what he was supposed to do. His life wouldn't change regardless of how much time he had left. And that's how we need to think about our life. And so the thing is, get ready. He can come at any moment Jesus could. And so we need to be those who are prepared. And this is what Jesus is telling us. And this is the whole point of it. Watch therefore, the end. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. You don't know. He could come literally right now. (laughs) Are you ready for it? This is what he's telling us. Look, Let's go through this. Matthew 24, 36. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father. And he even says, I mentioned, for as were the days of Noah, so will be the cunning son of man. Um, No one knows. Be prepared. They should have been prepared. They were warned. You should be prepared. You've been warned. Jesus is coming. Verse 42 Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know what day your Lord is coming. Then again in verse 44. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Then in verse 50. The master of the servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour he does not know. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Is it a little confusing to you what Jesus is trying to tell you? It's pretty clear, right? Be vigilant, be watchful, be ready. Jesus is coming at any moment. And throughout history, when you look at it, they were ready. Uh, Certainly the apostles were ready. They write about it. They're like, he's coming at any moment. I wonder if they thought like he left. And they were like, maybe in 10 days, maybe in two weeks, maybe in three years, maybe in 10 years. The point is be ready in a state of readiness. That is the point. And do we show that readiness in our lives? are we? I think sometimes we're like in a race. Uh, We get in a race and we hop in, but we don't ever really start running. We just kind of like going along. Here we are running the race. Sometimes we pick up a little steam and we'll do a little jog and then we get tired out and we just go back to our little, little walk. Some people jump in and they never really start running And you could be the foolish virgins who are running on the sideline. They're never really in the race. They just think they are. What are you doing? Are you running the race? Fighting the good fight? Pressing on towards the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus? I wanted to go back to that Hebrews passage real quick. I'll just read it. It says, and just as it appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time not to deal with sin. So he already dealt with sin. He's not coming to deal with sin again. Not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Uh, that is what we need to be, a people who are eagerly waiting for our Savior to return. And so we don't know the time that he is coming. He could come at any point. Uh, And we don't want to be those foolish virgins who get to heaven one day, or don't get to heaven, who get to the day of judgment and hear those terrible words, I do not know you. Because the time would be past, and so the time is now. If you don't know God, you need to seriously consider today. Not in an hour, not in uh, tomorrow, not next week. At this very moment, you need to think about your eternal salvation. And for those who do believe, you need to think about your life. Does it really exemplify godliness? Do you really live life according to his words? Do you seek righteousness? Do you have that remorse for sin? And are you watching, therefore, because we don't know neither the day nor the hour of his return. And so with that, let's close in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for this time that we have to come together to uh, learn about this parable of the ten virgins. Um, There's a lot in this parable, a lot more that could be said, but I just pray that we would walk away with uh, the right attitude, the right heart, the right mind, a mind focused on you, that we would be a people who are eagerly waiting for your return, that we would be vigilant, that we would be witnesses to this world um, that you did come once to deal with sin and again that you are coming again to save your people. We just thank you and praise you for all that you do for us. In Jesus' name, amen.